Thank you. you. may be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, if you would turn to the book of Romans chapter 8, I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 8. And, uh, you know, what I would really like to do is create this one meme that just goes viral. And what I'd like to find is one graphic. And the graphic is a person who's just bought this fancy sports car, sat the key fob down in the seat, and then went around to the back and started pushing it out of the parking lot. And then I'd like to send that to all of my Instagram and Facebook Christian friends with the caption, stop pushing and start writing. Stop pushing, start writing. Because I think that is an accurate picture of how so many Christians try to live their life after they get saved. They try to live their life in their own power when the spiritual life was never meant to be lived under the power of the flesh. So is your life working today? Or are you heart-haunted by the sense that you are missing its essence? There's just something missing. And all those things you thought would bring fulfillment to your life, the new car, getting married, having kids, education, home ownership, better neighborhood, they're just not working for you. And all that energy and idealism and enthusiasm of your youth is kind of faded into the cold realization that even says, man, I don't know if if I'm even cut out for this life. And maybe that makes you open today to hearing about a life management system that really actually works. And it works because its designer is God. So what I'm talking about, and this is our thesis for today's study, is having a life worth living, being the difference between a self-managed life and a Christ-managed life. And the difference between these two systems and these two strategies for living is both enormous and also eternal. So as we read Romans 8 today, we cannot help but notice the great contrast but since you're not yet feeling me like I need you to, can I, can I go ahead and give you an experiential explanation of these two life management strategies? See, every Christian has to make a choice every day of their life that either they are going to just simply live by default in the system they were born into, or they're going to be controlled by a higher power. So first off, notice, if you will, the default position which we are born into, and this is number one, is walking in the flesh. Verse 5, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. And these are the two predicted outcomes according to these two life dispositions. So the flesh is the path of least resistance because that's the way we were born. And, and maybe you've never looked at your life this way. Through a biblical frame of reference. Through the spiritual frame of reference that Jesus gives us in John chapter 3 and in other places. Because it's different. I mean, it's really different. But each one of these strategies leads you to produce certain things 
as you yield to it. Because second, on the other hand, when we get born again, then number two, we can make the choice to walk in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 6, Romans chapter 8. For to be carnally minded, fleshly minded, is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So one controlling disposition leads to death. The other one brings you life. And it also brings you peace in this life. And that's kind of a big hairy deal right now, I think, in the, in the life in which we're living. But, but, but this new, new life is not intuitive because it corrects our natural bent. So you may not be broken yet, but you were born badly bent. And this new life system overcomes that curse that we were all born into. So my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit will use the Word of God in your life. First, to expose the subtle and controlling flesh patterns that are there in your life. And then second, to compel you to abandon them. And finally, to allow you to yield to a life management system that actually really works. So now flip over to Philippians 3. Keeping your finger in Romans chapter 8, as I start off with just some basic definitions. Here's some working definitions. First, walking in the flesh means having a self-managed life. That's what the Bible means by that. It is self-focused, it is self-centered, it is self-motivated, it is self-confident. I mean, Paul said autobiographically of himself here in Philippians 3. He said, hey, do you want to compare the flesh? All right, verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. I mean, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And then he lists his resume. He goes through this litany of things that proves how in the flesh, when you get down to the end of verse 6, he says, touching the righteousness which can actually be had in the law. By keeping all its sacrifices and all its feasts and doing all its things, he says, man, I was blameless. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. And in the next verse, he says, all of his self-focused energies and all of his self-focused strategies, he now counts as dung compared to the new life in Christ which now defines who he is. So that brings us to the second definition. Walking in the Spirit means having a Christ-managed life. And all this is is just very basic Bible now. But if you maybe haven't come to a church like that that just preaches Bible to you, then it's going to sound strange. But this is a strategy of living where after you are put in Christ, when you get saved, when you make the decision to trust Jesus for eternal life, Then, at the same moment, the Holy Spirit is put inside of you. And he reproduces the very life of Christ himself in you and through you in Christ's absence. So you can walk in this life like Christ in Christ's absence. And it's a life system where you are enabled to live in total dependence on God to meet your needs and on the Word of God to show you how to manage your life. 
Life in the flesh describes being self-sufficient, where you live out of your own strength and your own abilities and your own resources and only for your own purposes and your own pleasures. And you know, that's, uh, that is, that's hard to accomplish all of that in a sin-cursed, climate-changing earth. I'm just saying. I mean, it's getting harder and harder to accomplish all that just in yourself. So it's a life that is self-directed. But many of us have discovered that that self-directed life ends up being a self-destructive life. So life in the Spirit makes Christ your sufficiency for life. It is Christ-centered because it is Christ-directed. So keep your finger here in Romans 8, but go back a few chapters to Romans 5, and let's take a minute to actually understand the programming of your flesh. And if you're skeptical about what I'm saying, then I think it'll become clear after this. Your flesh is so well-trained, it responds instantly to every situation. I mean, it is so well-integrated I mean, I mean, you are body, soul, and spirit, but it's almost like soul and spirit are just melted together. And so it's so integrated, you really don't even recognize it as a response of the flesh. You think it's just you. Because first off, notice if you will, and this is number one, you were initially programmed in Adam. We were all born wanting to be independent from God. We are messed up because we come from a very dysfunctional ancestry. And trust me, because I did this. I spit in the tube and I send it in. And they, you know, then they come back and tell you what your ancestry is. And you can start looking up your ancestors. And you know they do the commercials. And we all think we're going to be able to trace ourselves back to the Queen of England. We'll look at her family and see how that's going for you. But, uh, you know, when you, and then when you start going back, it's like, well, I don't know. Some of the things I'm hearing here, it's like, uh, you know, there are a bunch of cattle rustlers and drunks, and I just, I don't know if I really wanted to get into this that, that, that deep. So what was passed on to us came from him. And it is the idea that we can live our life independently of God. And we can get our needs met by following our own choices. So verse 12 of Romans 5 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, that one man was Adam, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's not Adam, that's you. That's me and you. We are programmed with the disposition, which is part of Adam's condition. So you don't have to teach your children how to lie, how to pout, how to be jealous, how to lose their temper, because they learn it from the church kids. And they learn it from the church kids because Lady Gaga is right. We are all automatically born that way. So I want you to notice on your handout at John chapter 3, I want you to see what Jesus says to Nicodemus, who was a master in Israel, meaning he was, he was a PhD. He was a teacher of Jews. 
He should have known all of this. And Jesus has to tell him in John 3, verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So he says, look, verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye, ye must be born again. So you are initially programmed by Adam. But, and this is number two, you were subsequently programmed by heredity. And that's everything in your genetics and your epigenetics as a result of the generations of time down through history mixed in with who you are most lately descended from. So there are contributing factors to your ancestors which go into your unique version of the flesh. So it makes you an OCD flesh, or a perfectionist flesh, or a controlling flesh, or an inferiority flesh, or a depressed flesh, or a self-pity flesh, or a defensive flesh. And then in the fi- if that wasn't bad enough, in the final analysis, this is number three, you are continually being programmed by your environment. So throughout life, you are assimilating a worldview, a self-image, and emotional reactions that are trained in us by the public education system, by a whole system that is set up, basically designed to box God out. And so now you're affected by your parents, by your peers, by your employers, and by all the traumatic experiences that you had in your past. So... At the bottom line, you are the product of being a fallen human being influenced by your birth and your upbringing. Go back to Romans 8. Because there is a life management system that really works. But it only works if you get out of the flesh and you start yielding your life to the influence of God through the Holy Ghost. Because if you will simply decide to get saved today then God compensates for heredity and and the Holy Spirit overcomes environment because he changes your family. He makes you now a child of God, not a child. He takes you out of Adam. He puts you into Christ. And if you are in Christ by being born again, how are you going to stop walking in the flesh? Well, here's what you need to understand about the actual products of your flesh. First off, this is verse 5. Notice, if you will, how they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. So, first letter A, following the flesh leads to a corrupt way of thinking. I mean, when you follow those, the flesh those patterns become inscribed on the plasticity of your brain. The more you follow the flesh down its ways of lusts or addictions or anything else, you end up in mental quicksand and you create the neural pathways that become the ruts holding you in bondage. Second, second, look at verse, uh, verse 8 of Romans 8. So then... They that are in the flesh cannot please God. So following the flesh leads to a corrupt mind. And second letter B, following the flesh, you can't please God. God will not share his glory. So nothing done in your own, even if it's good, but it's done in your own strength, in your own human sufficiency, none of that is acceptable to him. 
we're too far gone in the curse of Adam and what he left to us. So in the final analysis, look at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. This is letter C, following the flesh only and ultimately leads to death. Whenever you act out of the flesh, something dies. It may be a relationship, it may be your witness, it may be your joy, it may be your spiritual power, it may be fruitful effectiveness. But the flesh leads to sin and sin leads to death. So hey, enough of all that, because what you came to see today is a life plan that really works. Anybody want to hear this, just say, drop it like it's hot, Alan. And I'll even take silence as consent, because maybe you're one of those Baptists that doesn't, doesn't do dancing. You don't dance, so you don't drop it like it's hot. Okay, but, but I'm going to. Look at verse 1, Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ, first condition, second condition, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Verse 4. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now, a walk means a habitual way of life, what we would call a lifestyle. And you'll notice on your handout in Ephesians 4, verse 17, how Paul counseled the Ephesians and said, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth not walk, as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. So you walk in the Spirit, making one step at a time by transforming your mind through the Word of God and what it's telling you. And then John declares in his first epistle, 1 John 4, verse 4, Ye are of God, little children. You've overcome them. All of the influences of the world, the flesh, the devil, you've overcome them because greater is he that is in you, the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world. So how exactly do you walk in the Spirit after you get saved? Well, first off, notice, if you will, the biblical model for life management, and this is number one, is that you must recognize the Holy Spirit's promptings. Let the whole church say prompting. Verse 14 says, For as many as are led, he leads through promptings. Led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Because walking in the Spirit means being led by the Spirit. So you take the words, and and then you will learn to recognize the Holy Spirit's direction in your life. But let me give you three words that will allow you to know exactly how to hear the voice and recognize the activity of the Holy Spirit. First, letter A, by anticipation. You ought to give God the first day of every week. And just anticipate the Holy Spirit's activity through the rest. You ought to give God the first part of every day, having a devotional time in his word. Because at church on Sunday, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. And having a personal altar every morning for devotions 
in the Word, just spending some time in an open Bible, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you, and then you ought to give God the first time out of every dollar. Because when you honor God with the first fruits, what He gives back to sustain you can be used to bless, bless others. Because the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. I don't know if you've ever been expecting like a really important phone call. And so you walked around with your phone in your hand because you did not want to miss a call. You know, you ought to be the same way in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. He is so unobtrusive because his goal is to never glorify himself. And so he always wants to just glorify Jesus. And so always he's in the background. But he will show up when you gather with other believers, when you get in an open Bible on your own, and when you make the mission of his ministry your function in life. So verse 5 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, born of the Spirit, they live in life because they're born again. And so now they're walking after the Spirit. Well, they mind the things of the Spirit. And so second, you can hear the voice. You can recognize the activity of the Spirit. And this is letter B, by attention. Paying attention. Now, let me ask you a question, and I don't want you to answer out loud because you would embarrass yourself. Did you ever mind mama? Well, you should have. You should have minded mama. And now you need to mind the Holy Ghost. Do you know why you do not experience the Holy Spirit's power in your life? It is because you do not acknowledge his presence. In a, in a couple of weeks, I'll be in New Philadelphia, Ohio at, a, at our Certainty Conference for Living Faith Fellowship Churches, and the theme this year is the Holy Spirit. And So, uh, praise the Lord for whatever reason, they asked me to teach uh, some morning sessions. So I'll be splitting the morning sessions with Pastor Jeff Bartell. Pastor Sam Miles will be preaching in the evenings. And uh, it's on the Holy Spirit, and so, uh, so you know, I knew months before Life is going to be a wreck. I mean, it's just going to be a wreck. It was so bad this last week and, and you know, just such issues going on. So I said, okay, here, God, I'll make you a deal. Um, your word says that, so I, I know, I already know, that if I acknowledge Holy Spirit's presence, I'm, I'm going to have his power. So your word says that if I pray, despite the fact that I do not know what I should pray for, okay, I don't, the infirmity of my mind is such. I don't even know what, how to pray over this. But if I just pray that the Holy Spirit will pray in groanings that I cannot utter. So I said, okay, God, I don't know. This is such a, it's such a big deal. This is such a mess. And this affects me in such a way. I don't, I don't even know what to say, but I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to turn it over to you. And I, didn't, I did not think... It would be resolved uh, until we met in New Philadelphia. And it wasn't three days. And it got resolved. I, I mean, I don't know what you, what, how you envision what it means to have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, but what you ought to get is a biblical definition of how, what it means and then start walking in that. So, uh, so... 
Here's why we don't acknowledge his presence. It is because it means yielding to him. And a yield sign means you've got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. And so the concept of yielding is you come under God's rule and Jesus is Lord. And so in the final analysis, to hear the voice and recognize the activity of the Holy Spirit, this is letter C, it can only be done after authentication. Because the devil tries to counterfeit the Holy Spirit by giving you power in the flesh and then making you think it was, a, it was the Spirit. So don't listen to your heart, listen to the Spirit. Because he always speaks to you clearly in the voice of his word. So when you get an impression, you have an emotion, you must run it through the word of God. It has to be validated as coming from the Holy Spirit and not from any other spirit. You know, just because something comes in your head doesn't mean it's from God. Certainly does not mean it should come out of your mouth and doesn't even mean that you ought to own it as yours. Okay, my name is Alan and I'm your friend. I'm just trying to do some counseling for you today. See, I want to show you, and this is the first point for study, how the devil always introduces his thoughts into your life in the first person. Because he wants you to think that they're yours. So you need to run to the word, filter that thing, and validate it. Now, can I just give you some quick life coaching from the Bible and show you the brilliant advantages that come from that? If you look on your handout at Ezekiel 36, verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You, you will walk in my statutes because I caused you. I gave you the motivation. It came through my spirit and therefore you shall keep my judgments and do them. Galatians 5.16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And you have to do that. You must do that. There is no option to doing that. Well, there is. There is one option, but the option is this. If you look at Ephesians 2 verse 2, again, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and says, you know, in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Yes, it is just that bad. According to the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience. So you've got to recognize the Holy Spirit's promptings so that you can walk in him and you can walk by him and you can follow him. And then second, and most importantly, because you cannot do the rest of this without this one thing, this is number two, you must walk by the Holy Spirit's power. See, the distinctive role of the Spirit is to make the reality of truth in the presence of the power of divinity, the power of the Godhead, real in your life, in experience. Because power is not just a concept to be understood. It is a reality to be experienced. And just like the wind, the Holy Spirit wields great power, though invisible. Since the Holy Spirit is ever present with us who are saved and indwells those who are believers, then we can draw down the full power of deity wherever we go. So here's our second point for study. Though invisible, the Holy Spirit is invincible when you yield and follow him. 
His power is released by your submission, your yieldedness, your willingness to be filled. So the key to enjoying the Spirit's power is that yieldedness and obedience because then you join in the Holy Spirit's agenda of glorifying Christ. So follow His truth, follow His direction, follow His monitions, which is a word that means His cautions. His dangers, his warning of danger to you. When given through the word of God, it is an admonition. It is advertising the monition in written fashion. But when you sense in your human spirit, then it is an emotion. It is a monition. And this is our third point for study. The Holy Spirit does not demonstrate his protective power just to keep the enemy at bay. He does it to produce righteousness within you. The character of Christ, Christ's likeness in you. 2 Corinthians 3 verses 17 and 18 say, Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. It's like we can't look at it directly. We can only kind of look at the reflection in a mirror. But as we look at it in the Word of God, so it's not a direct, we're not seeing Jesus face to face yet, but with our face we are looking in the Word of God. And and he says we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. His glory transferred to us. How can that be? Well, it's done even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's what, what, is, what lets you walk in His power. So much so that there will be three things that will result in your life. Watch, verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the flesh do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. These three working results tell you that this life management system, it's really working. So first, letter A, there you have contrasting points of reference. And you start noticing that, so you can go by the right ones. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Well, if that's not the prevailing spirit of the age, in what we're living in right now, and everything going on in the world, on planet Earth, in the climate, in this world, and in, in, in war, and in other countries, and terrorism, and everything else, in our country, with the pandemic, everything else going on. Okay, that is one point of reference. But what God has given us is the spirit of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. And those are three new points of reference for you. You were born lost, you need to get saved. Because every unsaved person lives, works, and walks outside of Christ. That doesn't mean you never do anything good. And that does not mean that saved people never do anything bad. But what that means is your only point of reference is the flesh. So second letter B, there is a contrasting base of authority Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, 
And he does it according to the power that worketh in us. We have faith, and we at this church, we have God's word as our final authority. But the person who is acting in the flesh, all they have is human reason. So all they have is someone's opinion as the final authority, not God's word given to them. So they submit to personal preference and not to the scripture and not yielding to the spirit. And in the final analysis, this is letter C, there is a contrasting outcome in life because of that. Philippians 3 verse 10, Paul says that I may know him, that I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Okay, we love that. We'd love to stop right there. But you know, a lot of verses not only have promises, but they have premises. And there's a premise to this promise of having the power of his resurrection. We have to be willing to also know the fellowship of his sufferings, even, even to the point of being made conformable unto his death. You know, and it may amaze you, but you were not built to live this life for you. That's why everything is so hard on you right now. Because you were created to live for God, glorify him with your life, however long that lasts, because that sets your place in eternity with him. Let me illustrate that irrefutable idea. You know, uh, we just had a group of four uh, non-professional, unprofessional human beings who on Wednesday took off in a rocket and they went to outer space and they hooked up with the uh, space station. And then three days later on Saturday, they came back to planet Earth and they're not astronauts. I mean, I guess they are now, but they're not professional astronauts. Uh, they, were, they were just regular people like you and me that went through a six-month training and bought their way onto a rocket and they went to outer space. And you know what? I got to thinking about that. If, if I had gotten on that rocket and gone with them, now I don't want, not that I want to, I'm just saying, I'm not one of those ones that wants to. But if I did, if I had, man, I, once I got up there, I could lift a ton. I could lift 2,000 pounds. But I can't do that down here because I'm in the wrong realm. Because down here, there's a law that works against me called the law of gravity. But if I could just get in on the space shuttle, if I could just travel to outer space, I could lift even that weight. Because I would be living at a higher realm where the law of gravity no longer opposes me. And the reason you cannot lift your heavy problems is because you are living in the wrong realm. Paul's final word in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 to the carnal church in Corinth, which he had founded and stayed there for a year and a half and pastored. In verse 14, he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, but now watch this, the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. And I know what that word communion means by how it is translated in other places in the King James Bible by the James gang. So I know that it means your contribution to and your distribution of. It means your give and take of walking in the Spirit. So increase your familiarity and increase your fellowship with the Holy Ghost. 
Because the Holy Spirit wants to take you to the no-gravity zone of spiritual progress and spiritual growth and doing things for God and making you not just human, but superhuman. Not just natural, but supernatural. And when the combustion of the Holy Spirit is combined with the power of a yielded life, then you transcend the gravitational force of sin and you soar in your spiritual walk. And this is biblical life coaching. And that is why it is life management that really works. But if you are not yet a believer by being born again, can I just show you all you need to know about the Holy Spirit's power? This is the only thing you need to know. It comes in John's gospel. It comes in the first chapter. It comes in the 12th verse of that particular book. John 1.12 says, But as many as received Jesus to them, God gave power. Jesus gave power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Jesus Christ came to bear the full penalty for your sin on your behalf on the cross. And that work of redemption, that work of salvation was finished right there by him. So because of your faith in his finished work, not in ceremony, sacraments, or rituals, not in church attendance or membership, not in baptism or good works or anything else, but in his finished work, because of your faith in that, God's free grace will save you today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You can be born again this Sunday. Because all you have to do to receive new life in Christ is just pray. I mean, all you got to do is pray. Just pray and say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. I'm calling on his name because I'm putting my trust in him for eternal life. I don't want death to be my destiny anymore. And I want to know that there will come that day that even this body that dies is going to be resurrected and come back out of the grave. So here, Jesus, I give you my life. And that's not the complete conversation that you need to have, but that's the place to start. So I'm going to ask that after that, and if you've prayed that today, that you will come up here as we sing and as we get done and You'll come to let us know that you prayed so that we can rejoice with you because I just want to take one more minute. I want to give you something that will tell you how you can grow in your faith and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ.